Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this gathering. Uh, We thank you for your spirit. We invite your spirit down that you'd fill this place, that you'd touch each one of us in our hearts, that you'd make us humble like Moses, that you'd open us up to your word, and that you'd make us wise, make us more like you. Pray for Brian this morning as he speaks, that you'd fill him with your spirit, you'd give him boldness, and that you'd proclaim your truth through him. And we also pray this morning for Tom and Hannah, uh, for their relationship. I pray that you would just be so present in that, that you'd bless them. And I thank you for them, that you've blessed so many of us through them. Uh, Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone. I think uh, the, the property is holding up okay. If you feel like you're going to get stuck on the way out, don't just like burn out and dig a hole. We'll, just, we'll come help you so we don't destroy the property. Um, before I begin this morning, we want to just take just a moment and pray for and um, recognize who our leaders of our church are. Last Sunday, I mentioned four things. I think I can remember them in our commitment to you in what you deserve as church leaders. You deserve church leaders whose character is shaped by the gospel. You deserve church leaders who are biblically balanced, that we are grounded in God's word, we have an understanding of it. You deserve church leaders who have vision to move forward who understand that this is is our home where we live and and to love the people in our community. And then last, 
that you deserve leaders who are humble servants. And so this morning, I'm going to ask um, Brian and Karen Renner to come up, Tony and Jessica, Mark, Locke and Aubrey, and, and their whole families, and then Karen. And they're just going to come up, and, uh, and then Brian will pray for us. So if you're here, and here's the nice thing. <laughs> See how fast they're moving up here? <laughs> so now's the time. Come on up. I think we can just stand. Let's just stand in front. That's okay. And then right here, you get to use this to pray. Yeah. Like now? Yeah. Do you want to say something too? No. Don't pray. You don't need me to pray. You got to turn that off, Shane. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Just really quick. I'm. Um, What we're saying is that over the last four and a half years of the life of our church, um, these men have taken responsibility for certain areas of our church. And so we're not saying, hey, we're appointing this person because we think they're cool. But it's what they've done already. And so just to let you know, uh, renters um, have regularly opened their home and hosted home groups and had lots of people live with them. Um, Brian is taught regularly. Tony has overseen uh, the worship part, the worship ministry of our church since Todd left. Um, And so he's taking responsibility for that. Lockwood um, has done a little bit of everything. He leads worship. (coughs) He's taught Sunday mornings, led home groups, led small groups with other young men, uh, but will also be responsible for church finances. So that, that's one of his main responsibilities also. Uh, the, the countdown is happening. <laughs> um, so we are here to say that we just want to love you and serve you. And, uh, and uh, we're not up here for any of us to be recognized. We just want to say that we love you and serve you guys. And that's it. Honestly, that's it. So I asked Brian if he would pray for us. Let me, uh, I'm going to reiterate something that Joel actually just read because it caught my attention as to what is going on up here. Um, just one verse from uh, Exodus. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Just with that uh, thing about that that caught my attention was, um, you know, I've known Tony for quite a while and Brian Kelly for a good number of years now, and just Lockwood's become a very quick friend, his whole family, and everyone family's not just the, the guys. But, um, I think any one of us, I really have this sense, I mean, we almost laugh about this, like, like, who am I to have any kind of leadership or eldership in anything that's of significance in God's kingdom? Like, you know, I kind of look at myself and it's like, who am I? But God's promise is, I will be with you. So as I pray for these guys and their families, pray with me. I'm just going to pray a blessing, I guess, being the elder, elder, pray, pray for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got my old man glasses on. Um, but just that, that God will give vision, God will give, continue to give unity. Um, we all have, I said I wasn't going to say anything, we all have a different way of looking at things, um, yet there is a unity that I think is unique. Like Kelly says often, it's like we started this years ago and we're still friends. And I guess that's uncommon in church life. 
So um, just ask for God to continue to bless these guys. So pray with me. I'm going to turn my backs to you and face them, and then pray with me. <clears throat> so God, I pray your blessing, Lord, and your favor over each family that's represented up here. Lord, the men and their wives, their children, Lord, each one of them. And I just pray as they take on, and I'm touching everybody, but I can't reach. My cord won't go. Can I? Um, Lord, I just pray that your gifting would make itself even more evident in each life, Lord, that these people up here would continue to have unity, Lord, where we hold each other up. We work together for the benefit of your kingdom, the benefit of this body, Lord, and your, really your body worldwide. And, um, Lord, I pray for vision, God, to what, I guess, long-term, what, where would you be taking them out of the gathering over the years, and just even short-term, just where are you taking us in the next few months, uh, specific things like just what we're teaching and, and how we worship and how we, how we teach and encourage and bless one another. Um, so, Lord, I thank you for the work you've been doing here through the years. Pray for more. Um, just pray that, that, that the, the more comes in really in the form of depth, Lord, that we grow roots that are very, very deep in our lives. And uh, just also want to charge each one of us up here front to, to lead well and to teach well and to um, just take this responsibility, this responsibility seriously. And um, Lord, we know that we cannot do this without your Holy Spirit working in our lives. So we just pray more of your spirit. And uh, we bless you and praise you. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are going to short, uh, begin, start a, uh, a new short series this morning um, called Renewing God in Our Lives, and we'll be beginning looking at the book of Exodus and um, looking at how God can play a more significant role in our lives. And this morning, as we look at the life of Moses, we will see how God uses interruptions in our lives to make himself real to you. That God uses life detours to make himself real to us. This morning we'll be looking at all kinds of interesting things. We'll be looking at the wilderness. We'll be looking at bushes that burn and talk. We'll be looking at God's calling upon a really old man. And so if you have your Bible, um, turn back there to where Joel read. And we'll look at the story of Moses and how God used this man. So we'll begin in the, we'll, we'll break this up into three areas. We'll look first at where we can meet God, how we meet God, and how do we know if it actually is real? What are the, the, uh, the visible signs to show that our meeting with God is real? Our danger as believers is that a complacency develops, a casualness develops, a routine develops, 
and God loses a significant place in our lives. And also this morning, if you're here and you're more of someone who is spiritually seeking, what we see this morning in this passage is that God can actually be found. And I, under, I understand, and we've probably all been there, there's a part of our lives as spiritual seekers that we're very hesitant about Christianity, we're hesitant about the Bible, we're hesitant about church because of, of what certain people take out of Christianity and they lift it up to a high place that doesn't really exist or isn't really true in the Bible. Often there can be the perceived narrow-mindedness, the religious smugness, a religious arrogance, an attitude of superiority that can creep over some people sometimes who profess to be Christians. And so this morning, this story of Moses, um, again, as I was thinking through it this week, there is just, there is much here. Okay, so let's begin. Number one, we will look at God becomes real in the wilderness. So we'll look at where it happens, how it happens, and the evidence that it really has happened. So number one, where does it happen? It happens in the wilderness. God becomes real to Moses in the wilderness. What we have to remember is that Moses, just an interesting man, Moses' life began as a prince. He spent approximately the first 40 years of his life in the presence of the most elite leaders of Egypt, government officials, powerful people. He was on a path of significant leadership. The story continues, though, after an outburst of anger where he actually hits an Egyptian official for abusing an Israelite slave, and he murders him, and he flees for his life, as many of us know, into the wilderness. What we forget, though, sometimes, is that in the preceding verses before um, what we read this morning is that a span of approximately 40 years takes place. So Moses is approximately 80 years old when this story happens. The story begins in this way. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. The, the tone in the Hebrew in this beginning sentence is this that Moses continually, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, is watching sheep. And if we just think about this for just a minute, imagine being raised in a place of extreme wealth, power, prominence. You're living your life connected to all of the significant culture creators of our time. And now, you live your life walking around in the wilderness, taking care of sheep. And if we have a little bit of honesty, we could probably sense with Moses a little bit of bitterness in our lives. This is not the life we expected. When we apply this in different areas, and this... This idea of the wilderness takes many different forms in our life today. All right? And let's just apply it specifically 
as a, to the life of Moses to our lives. Many of us have career ambitions. We have hopes and dreams. And then the boss says, or the interviewer says, no, you're rejected. Or the test that you're taking to make it to the next level says, fail. Or the, admit, the admission department at the university says, no. The promotion that you were expecting to get, the person, you are the next person in line for the promotion, and it goes to somebody else. We all have hopes and dreams for our lives, for the things we want to accomplish, the career that we desire of moving up, of progressing, of being a better provider for our family. And Moses goes backwards. He's taking care of sheep. And what we learn here in this story is that God begins to work in his life after decades. Decades of looking back as we all would, thinking back to the good old days that Moses had when he was making money. But it's during these times, these times where we are susceptible to brokenness, where God is going to say, you're getting close to being ready to be used by me. The idea of brokenness is crucial if you desire for God to become real to you. That is why people can come to church Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year, and say, I just don't get anything out of it. There's nothing meaningful to it here for me. And that's because you've never come to that place yet in your life where you're living in the wilderness, where there's a brokenness within you. Jesus says the exact same thing on the Sermon on the Mount when he says the broken in spirit, those are the ones that will inherit the kingdom of God. <coughs> brokenness produces humility. Brokenness produces wisdom. Brokenness produces dependence on God. Moses' life is routine. We all have this experience of just the routine of life where we feel bored. We feel that God is not real to us. And we just live our lives just stuck in the rut, not feeling close to God. Verse 2 says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, out of fire in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Moses is taking care of the sheep, being the responsible shepherd that he is. And then suddenly a small bush is on fire, but not being consumed. Some little details here that are very interesting. 
And here's, here's what we can take away from this. If you look, it's repeated twice. Moses says this, I will turn aside. I will turn aside. That means that God is, listen, God is going to bring interruptions into your life. He is going to bring detours into your life. The question is, are we willing to turn aside and see the hand of God in these interruptions? The interruption for Moses was a burning bush. That burning bushes take on many forms. They happen in many different ways. Most of them are negative. Sometimes they're positive. For example, a positive that turns into a negative that helps you become real with God. Let's say you get that promotion and you are making money. Maybe that promotion is a burning bush. And what that promotion allows you to do, that progression in your career allows you to make more money and buy more things. But what you soon realize is that by buying more things, having more money, that that never truly satisfies. And it's not until that point in your life, in your soul, when you realize that more material things don't satisfy. Burning bushes can take the role of an accident. I had a professor in college. He was in a car accident, was thrown out of the car, skidded on his rear end down the road for hundreds of feet, was in the hospital. That was a burning bush moment for him that consider, called him to think through what God is doing in his life. Death of a loved one, a serious illness, a broken relationship, an, inexplic an inexplicable person in your life, a sermon, a trip to Haiti. God will regularly bring interruptions into our lives. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is will we do what Moses does and be willing to turn aside and literally see what God is doing? Because most of us, most of us living where we live, Southern California culture, we want to, we're driven to accomplish things. We thrive on being busy. We won't turn aside and even see. There's a great story of this in C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Screwtape Letters, where it's a, uh, it's a fictional book about two demons or two devils, one a, a top high-level captain type one, and then the junior apprentice devil. And the senior devil talks to the junior one and says to them, looking down at us, these people, they are enslaved to the pressure of the ordinary. Humans are enslaved to the pressure of the ordinary. That their lives are caught up in the mundane, routine things of life. And if I can get them, and now I'm paraphrasing, but if I can get them to stay focused on the mundane, the routine, 
and not be willing to turn aside, my job has been won. Many people say, I just don't understand why God is not real. I don't feel him. And yet God brings significant detours into our lives. But we put our head down and we plow ahead. We never take the time to think, to contemplate what is God's purpose in this. One sermon I listened to this week on this passage talked about how we are driven by immediate sense gratification. Driven. We live our lives driven by immediate sense gratification. That something will always distract you from turning aside. Life is filled with distractions and we pass them up and our lives just go by and God never becomes real because we don't do as Moses did. We think efficiently. We want to take care of the sheep. Moses, if he thought like many of us do, would have looked at the bush and said, that's cool. Now where do I go find that one sheep, that one piece of money? That, that sheep is money to me. I'm going to go find that one sheep and bring him back so I don't lose my money. God brings us burning bush experiences to interrupt your life. A sick child, a personal illness, burning bush experiences are intended to interrupt your life so you can be real with God, so God can make himself known to you. One burning bush experience that I had was when I was in, in Indonesia and I was in my mid-twenties and living the dream as many 24, 25 year olds are as far as finding things, exploring, surfing. And I'll never forget, I went and heard, uh, I went to a church one Sunday morning and the guy spoke and it was a burning bush type experience in the sense that I felt a desire, a pull on my heart towards ministry of giving up the place or the significance of surfing in my life to come back to the States and go to seminary and think about being prepared for ministry. And what you can do, and here's what's tempting for all of us, and sermons are just probably, I would say, rank very low on burning bush type experiences, but they can be used. The temptation is to daydream. I could have tuned out this guy. He had an Asian accent that I could barely make out a lot of many of his words. Daydream. Ignore the power and significance of God's word. A personal injury when you're in bed. Broken relationships. God can use all sorts. Burning bush experiences take on many different forms. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you willing to turn aside? Will you open your eyes to spiritual truth and not just be consumed with immediate sense gratification? The story continues then. 
with this. Moses turns aside, sees the great sight. Why is the bush not burned? The Lord saw it. Here's again. The Lord saw. Listen. God sees that Moses turned aside. God wants to make himself real to you. He will notice when you stop and you turn aside. And he says to him, Moses, Moses. This is significant. It's really interesting. So much we learn about God. Maybe you're uh, a believer here this morning and you do feel really close and connected to God. And, and to that I say, amen, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But one of the things you can take away from this is that you can expand your understanding of who God is. And right here is a clue. When God says, Moses, Moses, that is a, he uh, a Jewish way or a Hebrew way of saying, my dear friend, the person that I I'm deeply concerned for. The repetition of a name is always a clue of companionship, of compassion, of somebody that you feel endeared to. And that's what God is saying to Moses here. My dear friend, and Moses says, here I am. And now we answer the question, how do we approach how do we approach a burning bush situation? Or more specifically, God revealing himself in this place, in this burning bush. God can reveal himself in your burning bush type experiences. Here's the scary thing about this. The question is this. How do we approach a God that we cannot control? God deliberately reveals himself by holy fire. And this is where things begin to change a little bit. The God of the Bible reveals himself as holy fire. Fire is terrible and beautiful. If you've lived here long enough, you've probably experienced the Malibu fire. Experienced one several years ago and uh, driving through with uh, Brian and I think Shane or maybe his other son Nolan driving through one and you see, and this is maybe one of the unwise things, but the curious Washington boy wanted to see what these Santa Ana fires are all about. You will see how terrible fire is. Also, if you ever come to my house, you know that I love to do fire in the fireplace. I love fire. I guess we do love fire. <laughs> it keeps us warm. I love fire is beautiful. We love fires in the fireplace, in the rock fireplace. But there is a complexity here. There is a mysteriousness of God that we must tune into, that we must understand. That the image of God here is a holy fire. And this is really interesting. This is significant. And, and we'll explain this a little bit. But this is the part of God that we're not too comfortable with. By nature, we live in a consumer-driven culture, which means that we have lots of options. And we get to pick the things we like. All right, so we like, here's what we like. We like God as powerful. Because a powerful God can help you through your problems. Some of us have really serious, significant problems that take a powerful God. 
We like that. We like a compassionate God because we know we're all seriously messed up and we need lots of compassion. We like a patient God, which he is, because we do stupid things over and over again. We like a loving God because we all need to be affirmed and built up. And those are all very true things about the nature of God. But one of the things that we aren't as comfortable with is God's holiness. Because when you get close to somebody or something that's holy, it exposes, it shows, it reveals our sin. And none of us like that. That's why some people, or it's like going to the beach and standing next to somebody who's very fit. And you're like, I think I'll put my t-shirt back on, right? <laughs> Wait, nobody wants to see that. That's a very, very human, limited example. It shows our flaws. And God, here's the thing. God's holiness is so unique and powerful that many times in the Bible and even here God hides himself there are places in the Old Testament where people literally die because God's holiness is so prominent and so powerful in fact even in this passage it is not God himself there's a very mysterious thing happening here but if you read in the beginning it says the angel of the Lord that God is not revealing all of who he is here because his holiness is so dominant and so prominent here. So we don't like the God aspect, the holiness part of God. It shows the depth of our flaws. And here's what it shows even deeper. It shows that we all need forgiveness. This is the part we don't like. When you have to go to somebody and you say to them, please forgive me, nobody likes doing that. It takes prayer. It takes like, God, please help me like, to like, get up and like, start moving to the person so I can actually go say I'm sorry. This is why holiness is something that's harder for us to grasp. If you don't take all of who God is, God will never be real to you. If you feel like God is always just kind of this abstract, non-personal being, we need to expand your understanding of who God is. God is holy. God is personable. God cares about you. But if we only take a God that's created out of our own mind, off, the, off our own menu of the things we like, that is not the kind of God that can rescue you, that can heal you, that can redeem you. I don't think any of us want to serve and follow a God that we create out of our own mind. It's not the true God. That's what limits God from becoming real to you is when we don't take a more comprehensive view of what the Bible describes of who God is. So, if we want to come near to God, we have to understand who God is. He is a holy fire. 
Verse 5 says this, Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off, for the place you are standing on is holy ground. How do we approach a holy fire God? God says, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. Here's the principle. God, if you really are who you say you are, I am willing to do the things I don't want to do. I'm willing to understand that you are a holy God. And that when I come near to you, it shows how much I need your forgiveness. To come near to a holy God requires something. There's one principle that goes consistently through the Bible that if you want to draw near to God. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 17 says this, a blood sacrifice is needed. If you want to come near to God, a blood sacrifice is needed to atone for your sin. It is our, it is our flesh part of us that always wants to say, it's not that bad. I'm not that bad of a sinner. And we do that when we compare ourselves to other people. But God says, come near, not too close. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. To approach God, a blood sacrifice is needed. As we move forward to the Bible, though, we see that this is always pointing forward to Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. How do we approach God today? The simple act of faith in Jesus Christ. That is how we come today. It is not based on our achievements. It is not based on some self-promoting sacrifice. Hebrews 10.18 says this, Brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to deepen, we're trying to expand our understanding of who God is and understand the cost of what it takes to enter into the presence of God. It took the life of Jesus and the amazing love, gift, the grace that's given to us is that now, it's only through faith. That's how we approach a holy fire God in humble obedience to Christ. That is why Paul says in Romans, we looked at that for the last few months, my dear brothers, because of what Jesus has done to you, you're to offer your life as a living sacrifice. The story continues in verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. My hope is that we would be a community of believers, a church 
that understands the holiness of God, the mysteriousness of God, that God is a holy fire, and that fire is not meant to be played with. By nature, we want a God of clay, a God that can be molded by our own hands. And that's why God will never become real to you. God will always just be this distant thing, this abstract thing, because you've turned God away from his original being of fire and turned him into a God of clay that you're molding into your own hands. God is mysterious. He is not so simple and easy and cute. He is a holy fire that represents terror and beauty. We'll jump ahead to the end. Actually, I just want to read verse 7 first. Then the Lord says to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. God understands that the form of your burning bush experience in life, your major interruption in life, the major detour, can be filled with tremendous pain. We can stand back and take a, mic, excuse me, a macro view of the people of Israel and see how their detour in life was hundreds of years of enslavement. That's a major detour, a major interruption before they come to the promised land. But what we learn about our God is that he is a God who understands affliction. Let's look and see how if, if God is becoming real to you, you'll see what works itself out in your life. Skipping down to verse 12. God says this to Moses, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you. I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on the mountain. Excuse me, I want to start with verse 11. Verse 11 says this, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go? When God becomes real to you, God will always have a calling on your life. Who am I that I should go? When God becomes real to you, you will understand this aspect of your life, that there is a sharing aspect, that there is a commissioning. Just as Jesus sends out the disciples, Moses is being sent out here by God. When God becomes real, you cannot help but talk about it. It's interesting, um, you know, obviously the last few days we've had lots of weather, but there's also been uh, a large swell on the ocean. The waves have been really big. And we, people who enjoy the ocean, love to look at it when it gets powerful. And if, if you've driven down Westward Beach the last couple of days, you've noticed that it's been extremely crowded not with people laying out on the beach, but people loving to look and stare at the power of the ocean, of the waves. It grabs our attention. It shows us that there is something bigger out there. I was there. And one of the things you notice a lot, people on their phones, texting, 
and people talking about the condition of the ocean, something bigger is grabbing their attention. Something bigger than them. And we all long for something bigger than ourselves. And what we're saying this morning is that when God becomes real in your life, it will be bigger than you. It will, life will become more than just about you and your own things you want to accomplish in your life. God will be commissioning you to bring peace, to bring the gospel of grace to people's lives. We have to remember here, again, Moses, listen, he's almost 80 years old. He's about 80 years old. Four decades. Most of our church isn't even that old. Four decades of wandering around in the wilderness. That is a major life interruption. That is a major detour in life. We have a detour the last 10 minutes and we get all tied up in fits. You get sick for a day and we get, have a fit. My concern or, or even my hope is that God will bring detours into all of our lives. But we're going to put our head down and we're not going to see it. We're not going to look up. We're not going to turn aside and see that God wants to make himself real to you. Listen, there is nothing more important than the simple truth that God is. That God is. At some point, life is a great equalizer. We're all going to get old. Hopefully we all live a very long time. We know that some of us won't. But the ultimate reality, the most important question we can ask ourselves, is the most important thing we can think through is God is and that God wants to be real to you and that he will bring things into your life. Don't let them pass you by. God wants to make himself real to you. I want to finish with this. In the same way that Moses was led into the wilderness, decades in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, somebody else spent 40 days in the wilderness. He went there to do battle with the enemy. He went there to begin the process of claiming his identity, of claiming his kingdom. He went there to begin the process of defeating the devil. And the completion of that for our salvation happened on the cross. And so that while all of us might have wilderness experiences in our lives, the comforting truth, the reality truth, is that someone has gone before you in the wilderness. And he has conquered there. He conquered it by dying on the cross. He conquered it by rising by being raised from the dead, which then offers us newness of life. We are going to have communion this morning. And I, before we do, I just want to encourage you to take your time and think. I know that some of you right now are going through major life detours. And maybe you've just been putting your head down. Take this morning to turn aside and see what God wants to do 
during this detour. That he wants to make himself real to you. That he will show himself to you. That he is a holy fire God that's filled with compassion and sees your suffering, sees the affliction that you are going through. Last thing I'm going to say. I just remember this. This is so important though. God promises, listen, God does not promise you success during your time of detour. I'm never going, I'm not going to say that to you on your time. Do you remember when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go? Pharaoh laughs at him. And then God starts doing these plagues, right? Is it one plague and, Mo and Pharaoh says, oh, wow, your God's cool. He's powerful. I'll let you go. No. Fail, 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 fail. But in the midst of the failures, God says, I will always be with you. It's not about us getting what we want exactly when we want. God never promises you that. What he does promise is that he will always be with you. He will never leave you alone. That is your confidence. That is your hope. As we conclude in worship and communion, I do just want to encourage you to remember the God of Exodus 3, the holy fire, the terrible, mysterious, beautiful one who shows his compassion on people who are going through a time of affliction. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you promise that you will always be with us, that even in times of wilderness, in times of detour, in times of brokenness, that you promise to make yourself real to us. I pray that we would open our eyes afresh, that we would renew ourselves in a story that's well known, that's very old and very familiar, that we would ask you to make yourself real to us, that we would look to the life of Moses and see how you worked in his life, how you made yourself real to him, how you commissioned him to work with you to set your people free. Father, we love you. We pray your Holy Spirit would move in powerful ways, in ways that we can say only you are doing this here, God. Nothing here can be attributed to the power of men. that we would be driven and move forward by the power of your Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.